This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. All right, friends, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be with you. What are we looking at today? August 7th, 2023. It's been a couple weeks since we've been together, but great to have you with us here on the show. All right. So we are in the middle of a series called Transcending Eschatology. So for those of you who have been here every week or each episode, you know where we're at. You know what's going on. Um, nine episodes deep. If you are new-ish, um, you are in a weird place. So you may want to go back and at least start at the beginning of this series, if not even going back farther and maybe um, listening to some of the older stuff in order to get a feel for what this is all about. But today it is back with the series on the end of time, and we are in episode nine called Daniel's Final Vision. Uh, before we dive in, um, I just wanted to do a short minute of transparency, even though we haven't been really doing those much during this series. Um, I did want to dive in and do one today just because I've really been thinking lately as, as this series has gone on, obviously my mind has been pretty focused on the series and the content, but because I'm not pumping these out every single week the way I used to, it's given me a little bit more time to think about what the podcast is, what it what I had envisioned it becoming and, and what it has been lately. And I've realized that as I've stopped consistently putting out a weekly episode, um, I've, I've actually lost some momentum. I've lost some of that passion because as you're, as you're getting into this rhythm where every single week you're researching, you're writing, you're recording, and then you, and then you publish your episode. There's just this like OCD thing that happens where you get really comfortable with that routine. And when I got into this, uh, this series and we, as a family, we moved from Irvine to Corona. So that, that took a huge chunk out of not only my time, but my brain space, like so much of my emotional, um, capacity had to be put toward the family and the house and the move and all of that, that it was really difficult to, to stay on that pace of, of publishing a weekly podcast. And so that's where I find myself at is by now we're moved, we're, we're doing well. Uh, and I have that ability to get back into that weekly rhythm if I really want to. Um, but I feel like I've kind of lost it. And, and, like I said, some of it could be related to the content. I mean, this isn't easy content. I'm having to do a lot more research than normal in order to, to make sure that I'm putting out content that I'm proud of, that I can stand behind. Um, but it's just what I've been thinking about. So it'll, it'll be interesting as we continue through this episode, continue through this series. Um, just really want to focus on where I'm at and where we can go with this, uh, with this podcast. So that's it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really have a specific direction I wanted to go with that other than to just throw it out there. 
um, and let you know that that's where my mind's at. That's what I'm, that's what I've been thinking about. Um, I've got a lot of interesting things in the fire in terms of not only content, but in terms of even other projects that I'm excited about potentially jumping into. Uh, some of those projects may impact the podcast. Others may not. I don't know. Um, but I'm just thankful that you're willing to hang out, um, share some of this content with me and who knows what it'll become in the future. So with that, let's dive in. So we are on episode nine. I'm not going to go through each of the previous eight like we typically do. It's, it's getting up there in episodes and I can spend a good 10, 15 minutes talking about where we've been if I get stuck in that loop. So it is in the show notes if you're interested um, what each episode has been about previously. Today we wrap up the left bookend. So we've talked about Daniel being the left bookend and the book of Revelation being the right bookend. And so we're finishing up Daniel this week uh, and the final vision that's documented in Daniel 10 through 12. That's our topic, chapter one, dreams with increasing complexity, chapter two, past, present, and future, and chapter three, all those crazy time periods. Chapter one, dreams with increasing complexity. So as we get into this final episode, this final uh, piece of the left bookend, I really want to go back and review a concept that we've thrown out a few times. So it's this whole idea that the dreams that Daniel has had or the visions are all, they're all connected. Now to some, this might seem a little strange. To others, it might spark some interest. And to still others, it just goes right over their head as unimportant. But to me, this is actually a non-coincidence, right? This is one of those things that I believe exists because it's meant to exist. It's one of those things that makes me even more confident that the Bible, and more specifically, apocalyptic prophecy in the Bible, isn't just a work of fiction. Now, at the very beginning, we had this whole conversation about the Bible, right, and how people view it in at least one of three ways. One being the inerrant word of God. Every single word is determined by God. There's no errors. There's no debate. God said it, and I believe it. And then there's the group that believes that it is errant, right? There are some problems with it, but we still believe it's very important. So even if there are some problems, some contradictions, the Bible is still this inspired book that God will use to get the truth across to future generations. The third group just views it as a great book with some good stuff in it, right? The Bible is just a compilation of human writings. Some are helpful. Some are meant to be inspirational. Some are artistic. Some are poetic. Um, but really, everything else is just left up to our interpretation. There's nothing magical. There's nothing divine about the Bible. And finally, I'm going to add a fourth option, one that we haven't really talked about. But there is a group, for sure, that believe that the Bible is a complete work of fiction, not even worth the paper that it's written on. Now, I'm only bringing this up again because over the last 6 to 12 months, um, I've been seeing these categories in living color on social media, mainly on TikTok, right? But one of the fastest growing groups that I've encountered are those deconstructing their faith. Uh, they often refer to themselves as deconstructionists. They describe themselves as deconstructing either their religion or their faith. 
And the more that I see from this group, the more that I've started to see experts come out of the woodwork. Now, these are people that are probably deconstructionists as well. Um, but for some reason, they just stand out as experts in, in the field of deconstruction. Maybe it's because of their, um, their educational background. Maybe it's because they're, they're a scientist and they have, but a lot of these people have very specific reasons why they believe what they believe. And they're really good at explaining it. And they just come across as experts, right? So a lot of the deconstructionists that I follow will reference these people. Like this is where they get their information. It's where they get their arguments and their logic for why they're deconstructing and why it's important to deconstruct. Now on the surface, this isn't a bad thing, right? It's very common. Think about it. If, if you were ever a super Christian, right? If you were ever like me, like knee deep in Christianity, drinking the Kool-Aid, we did the same thing, right? We bought and read books from people like C.S. Lewis, Max Licato, John Eldridge, Lee Strobel, Rick Warren, Craig Rochelle. Why? Because they were the experts. They were the thought leaders. They provided us the logic and the arguments as to why we believed what we did. So as you begin to deconstruct, it just makes sense that you would look around for thought leaders who do a good job explaining the logic behind deconstruction. Ultimately, we came by it honestly. However, if you look back at the thought leaders we used to follow in the Christian circles, you realize that many of them didn't even agree with each other, which is kind of strange, right? I mean, we look to them for guidance, for logic, and for the arguments against the rest of the world, and yet they didn't even agree. Many of them did not agree. There wasn't a consensus. What? Why? Isn't that crazy? Look at, here's a, here's a great example, Rob Bell. So when I lived in the Midwest, Rob Bell was then the senior pastor at Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he was a rising star. He was edgy. He pushed boundaries. He had this really unique way of presenting information. Staff at the church that I attended often took annual trips to Mars Hill for conferences, student ministry retreats, and basically whatever else they could, could consume from this church. But Rob was just a little off from the mainstream. He wrote books, and one of them was apparently just a little too much for the Christian community. So he was blacklisted. He eventually left Mars Hill just because of the tension. Um, and then ever since then, he's kind of been bashed by the Christian elite as being a heretic for his views on heaven, hell, and a lot of the psychological nature of humanity that he puts into his work. So perfect example, right? One minute we're reading Rob Bell books for the logic and the arguments and then the next minute, we're supposed to banish him to Malibu, California, because he's a heretic. And that's something that many fail, people fail to see as Christians, that there are numerous voices speaking into your life, and half of them don't even agree with each other, which is exactly what starts to happen when you start to deconstruct. You enter a world of deconstructionists, one where there seems to be a common thread, but there really isn't. In fact, there are thousands of different voices, right? Each one is just a little different. Each one is coming from a slightly different place. And each of them has a different goal 
or a different destination in mind. Within deconstruction circles, we find some people weeding out their religious and traditional elements that were harmful to them. Some are leaving megachurches and looking for more traditional religious communities. Some are throwing everything out, right? They're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but looking to slowly add pieces back into their life. And still others are heading the exact opposite direction. They're running as fast as they can toward atheism, agnosticism, and the eventual goal of not believing anything. And there's everything in between, obviously. So back to TikTok and the world of deconstruction that I've been observing for a while now. Within this community, people have emerged, like I said, new voices claiming that they have all the answers. They often stitch other people's posts, people that are hurting, people that are questioning, or even people saying things that they don't agree with. But their voices, for some reason, are much louder, right? They have the following. They have the numbers. They've risen to the top as experts. First, there are the science-only types, right? So these are the types that basically have scientific proof for everything, and they need it in order to believe what they believe. Next, you have the over-educated types, right? These are people who can shoot down the Bible because they've studied linguistics and ancient manuscripts, potentially at Yale or Harvard. They just know it all. Then you have the conspiracy theorists. We've all seen those, right? And these people are very convincing about their theories, that the Bible is part of an overall cover-up, right? And that there were people living on earth before us, people that were part human, part fallen angel. There's that whole group. And then finally, you have the politically charged group, right? Where everything goes back to politics somehow and how our world is falling apart because people are polarizing. And those are just four of the groups you'll meet on deconstruction TikTok. So why do I even bring this up at all? Well, because one of the common threads in all of this is the way that these groups are looking at the Bible. On TikTok, the common thread that I've seen is that people are looking at the Bible at best as nothing more than a collection of fiction stories. And at worst, it's a collection of stories written as part of a conspiracy by the white patriarchy in order to maintain power. But the overeducated types that I referred to above all seem to hold this view. According to them, they can prove that everything we've been taught about the Bible is false that specific books of the Bible were not even written by the authors we believed wrote them, and that many of them weren't even written when we thought they were written, meaning that some, if not many of them, were not prophetic in any way, shape, or form, because they were potentially written after the fact and presented as prophetic. Now, you can see why this is important, right? Especially when it comes to apocalyptic prophecy. Because if this is the way that you view it, then there's really no sense in reading it. Any more than me reading the book Jurassic Park, one time for entertainment value. And like I said, this seems to be the common explanation of the Bible in deconstruction circles. Not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg. But with this view of the Bible, deconstruction is almost mandatory, with no guiding principles or foundation to build on. You may as well throw the baby out with the bathwater right? Why not? But let's stop for a minute and let's think through this from another perspective. The one that sees the Bible as having problems, but one that also believes God had his hand in the formation of it. 
that there is something bigger at work, something that kind of sets this book apart from Jurassic Park and every other book written in history. It's a book that answers the big three questions, right? It answers where we came from, why we're here, and where we go when we die. It's the book that is the foundation of both Judaism, the Torah, and Christianity, two world, world religions that make up over a third of the world's population. Throw in Islam, the other Abrahamic religion, and now you're close to 60% of the world's population. Three religions that are directly connected to the Bible, parts of the Bible, or on some level mentioned or described in the Bible. Now, I know it's a leap, right? Choosing to believe that there is something mystical about a book that many believe is a fairy tale or a complete work of fiction. But at some point, as a Christian, you have to pick a side. You have to make a decision about the Bible and what you're going to believe about it. Okay, that was a really long rant. Uh, but let's get back to Daniel's dreams and how they are all connected and with increasing complexity. So I went on that rant because this is one of the reasons I believe that there is something more to the Bible. To me, Daniel doesn't seem like he's just writing a fiction story, just building a piece of fiction that someone will find interesting. Because it sounds like he's recounting very real stories that actually happened throughout his life, to him, to his friends, and to the kings that he served under. Then he starts recounting these dreams or these visions that he had along the way, and he doesn't have any way to interpret them. But each one comes at a different time in his life, and each was eventually interpreted by a being or by Gabriel, you know, people who came when Daniel asked for help or when they saw that he needed it. So we see that each dream or vision is connected, and we see advancing complexity as we move throughout each dream. In Daniel 2, we saw the, the king's dream, right, with the one with the large statue, the dream that took us all the way from Babylon to the end of time, a very high-level flyover of the civilizations that would come and go until God returns to take control. Then in Daniel 7, Daniel had the dream with the four beasts and the little horn, Another pretty high-level walkthrough from Babylon all the way to the end of time. But this time with a little bit more information given about the time during the divided kingdom where this little horn power comes to, comes to power and persecutes people. Then Daniel 8, the dream with the barnyard animals and the little horn. No Babylon this time, but we have the ram, which is Medo-Persia, and we have the goat, which is Greece. So two things that we've already gotten pretty comfortable with, right? And then we see even more information about Rome and the growth of that little horn power. And then in Daniel 11 and 12, which we'll talk about today, um, Daniel has a dream about well, the king of the north and the king of the south. Like I said, this is where we're at today. Technically, I'm supposed to walk through this dream during this episode. But for now, just know that this is no different. It begins describing four kings all from Media and Persia. Then it talks about a mighty king during the Greek civilization. And then it calls Rome the king of the north and walks through the years when this kingdom is divided. And then it wraps up the conversation about the time of the end and the return of Jesus called Michael. Chapter two, past, present, and future. 
Like I said, this episode is for us to walk through the final dream that Daniel had. It's documented in Daniel chapters 12 or 10 to 12, and it really follows the theme that we've already seen, explaining things from Daniel's day. In this case, he's living during the time of the Media and Persian civilization. And then the dream goes all the way through to the end of time. Now, I'm not going to lie and lead you to believe that I have all of this figured out because this is one of the most complex of the dreams, and it comes with numerous references to people, events, and changes in power throughout history. Now, I'm sure I could find numerous articles explaining what each of these people and these powers and these events stand for, but there would all be conflicting articles, right? Because everyone seems to have different answers. But the interesting thing, like I said, is that nobody can really argue about the beginning of the dream. Because in Daniel 11, it flat out says, Now then, I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will rise to be succeeded by a fourth, far richer than the others. He will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdom of Greece. Sound familiar? Of course it does. Because as we've seen, each of Daniel's dreams are connected. And as we move forward, each one gets a little more complex. So in this, the final dream, it makes sense that Daniel really gets into the weeds. As the verses progress, we realize that we're listening to a history lesson, a lecture, if you will, describing kings, rulers, alliances, marriages, wars, invasions, warships, temple fortresses, etc., etc. And again, I'm pretty sure each of these things actually happened. I just don't know how necessary it is for us to determine what each and every one of those pieces are. Even within a specific group who interpret prophecy the same way, this dream has multiple explanations. And knowing that, there's really no point in me, a total amateur, to attempt to suggest which interpretation is right. But maybe that isn't the point. Maybe this dream exists simply to get us through our, or get it into our heads that civilizations will rise and fall all the way to the end of time. And then Jesus will return and set everything straight. But let's try to at least summarize uh, things when it comes to the two big camps of interpretation that we've talked about each episode, historicists and futurists. So historicists typically look backward through history in order to determine if the prophecy was fulfilled in the past, hence the name historicist right? So a historicist will look back through this vision and they will see media and uh, the kings of media and Persia. And they will immediately see things like Cambyses, false Smyrtus, Darius the first and Xerxes. And then when it talks about the, the great king of Greece, Alexander the great comes to mind. And then some of the fighting in between Greece and Rome is very reminiscent of the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. And then we get into Rome and some of the descriptions sound like Julius Caesar, Cleopatra, Augustus, Tiberius. And then when you get to Daniel 11 verses 40 to 45, everything seems to change because this is where people start to believe different things. Some believe that the king of the north and the king of the south refer to Turkey and Egypt. Others believe it refers to the papacy and atheism, and still others believe that it's the papacy and the nation of Islam. So that's historicists. On the other side, futurists 
believe that a lot of this stuff happens at the end of time. Now, they still may believe that some of the references in this chapter um, pertain to media Persia and Greece, but then they're quick to push, push the rest of it down to the end of time. Hence the futurist view on prophecy, right? Many futurists believe in a historical character named Antiochus Epiphanes, and they believe that he fulfills some of the historical prophecies. But then in Daniel 11, they suggest that the battles between the king of the north and the king of the south involve a new version or possibly a reincarnation of this person. It's not super clear if that person is actually reincarnated at the end of time or if it's just that the person at the end of time has the exact same traits as Antiochus Epiphanes. But either way, at the end of time, there is said to be an Israelite who will grow strong and powerful, and he will take on the traits of Antiochus Epiphanes. This individual will come to power and be become the Antichrist figure, ushering in the seven years of tribulation. Chapter 3, All Those Crazy Time Periods. So to wrap things up, um, I really wanted to address some of the interesting time periods in Daniel 12. We've talked about quite a few already, but there are two more big ones that are dropped in, in Daniel 12. And I find it fascinating that we just walked through a very large dream with numerous elements to understand. Then, at the very end of the book, Daniel just throws in some new time periods. Or actually, the man dressed in linen who was talking to Daniel helping him understand when all of this was going to take place. To this point, we've discussed the following. A really long time prophecy, we refer to that as the 2300 day or year prophecy. Then there's a shorter one, the 1260 day year prophecy. And then we have Daniel's 70 weeks, which work out to 490 literal years. But in Daniel 12, we get a few more. In verses 11 and 12, it says, From the time the daily sacrifices stopped and the sacrilegious object that causes desolation or desecration is set up to be worshipped, there will be 1,290 days. And blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1,335 days. So there you have it. Two more interesting time periods presented a 1,290-day year prophecy, and a 1,335-day year prophecy. And again, I want to I walk through this from both points of view, but I think it'll be easier to start with the futurist point of view because there really isn't one in this case. So we've talked a little bit before about how the futurists take or leave the day-year principle, right? There are times when they apply it, and then there are times when they do not. In this case, I don't believe they use the day-year principle. So that means you're left with two pretty small periods of time, periods of 1,290 days and 1,335 days. Both of these periods of time would just be over three and a half years in length, but definitely not three and a half years in length. I make that point because prophecy has been very clear in giving us a three and a half year time period in various formats, right? We've read it as time times and half a time, 1,260 days, 42 months. Each one of these references reply or er, 
pertains to this 1260 year prophecy. So the other two time periods are definitely new and must refer to something totally different. So the futurist believes that there are two time periods that will exist at the end of time. There's no explanation about when they will occur or what they signify, but they are said to occur at the end of time or in the last days. So that leaves us with the historicist interpretation of these time periods. Now, I need to clarify something here because based on my research, there is a traditional historicist interpretation, one that I believe goes all the way back to pre-Catholicism, even uh, some prophetic works of Judaism where, where these beliefs really came from. And then there is a subset of historicism, which is Adventist or Seventh-day Adventist. And this is a version of historicism that was posed by the Millerites back in the 1800s. They are very similar, but there are some definite deviations as well. And most of this is due to the way that people interpret the dates and times presented in the book of Daniel. Both camps seem to get 1843 or 1844 as an end date, right? In fact, that's the last date that most people can define in all of apocalyptic prophecy. Some historicists assign no specific event to this date, but the Millerites believed it meant the world was going to end. So William Miller set a number of dates based on his interpretation of the 2300-day prophecy, but the one that really took off was October 22nd, 1844, to the point where all of his followers, the Millerites, began living as though it was true. They quit their jobs. They spent the bulk of their time telling everyone what they knew about this date. But what happened? You know it. The day came and went. Nothing happened. This is now referred to as the Great Disappointment and forced the Millerites to go back to the Bible and try to figure out what went wrong. What came out of that was a new belief in something called the investigative judgment. It's this belief that the date that was given this 1843 or 1844 date was really the last date for a very different reason. It wasn't the end of time. It was simply the beginning of the end. The belief is that in 1843, Jesus went into the temple in heaven to audit the books, so to speak, to basically go through every personal record for every single person, past, present, and future, now, this, this can be found in Daniel, but also in Revelation, right, where we see scenes from heaven where God, Jesus, strange beings, and hosts of angels are watching anxiously as these books are opened and as this process begins. I say at the beginning of the end because when you look at all of the time periods presented in prophecy, there are none left. After 1798 and eventually the 1843 date, there's nothing left, which means we're at the end, right? This is the final scene in the movie, and that scene started in 1843. But like I said, that is a very specific version of historicism. You may not believe that. I may not believe that. The Millerites certainly believe that. And it's become the Adventist version of historicism um, over time. Now, let's wrap things up with a timeline. 
So I'll, I'll probably put a couple graphics in the show notes if you're interested, just to see how everything kind of lines up. But here are the major dates that we've walked through from a historicist perspective, starting with the oldest. So the first date that we cling to is 457 BC. It's the date that kind of kicks off everything in these books. It's believed to be when Artaxerxes gave the decree for the Israelites to rebuild Jerusalem. The next date is 408 BC. And this is the date when the Israelites completed rebuilding Jerusalem. Next, we have three dates that make up the final week of Daniel's 70 weeks. Now, futurists will believe that this week is cut off from the other 69 and moved all the way down to the end of time. But historicists tend to believe that the 70 weeks are all one large time period. And that final week starts in 27 AD when Jesus was baptized. The middle of that week, or those seven years, was 31 AD, which is when Jesus died on the cross. And then finally, three and a half years later, in 34 AD, um, that date is significant because Stephen, one of the disciples, was stoned to death uh, for his beliefs. And at that point, uh, the gospel, if you will, which was typically only for Jewish people, was no longer just for Jewish people. The gospel was then taken to the entire world. The next date we have is 508 AD, and this is believed to be a key puzzle piece in what was coming. Clovis, king of the Franks, defeated the Visigoths, led by Alaric II. And this really set the foundation for the coming Dark Ages. Church and state were united at this time in this thing called the Council of Orleans. Then the next date wasn't too far later, 30 years later, 538 AD, um, which is another important date, or at least believed to be important, because Justinian declared himself no longer a soldier but a theologian. And he began a process of combining church and state to where they were able to persecute anyone not following the agreed-upon laws and mandates. Next up, we have 1798 AD. This is what is referred to as the deadly wound. So it's a date when this persecuting power actually lost its power for a short, short period of time. Um, Supposedly... Um, from history, we read that on February 15th, 1798, French troops uh, entered Rome with their commander, General Berthier, and they basically deposed Pope Pius VI. And this all started on January 11th, 1798, when the order was given by the French government to send its troops to Rome to occupy it. The army, accordingly, had marched southward under Berthier, with the orders from Napoleon to expel the Pope and set up a republic in Rome. And then finally, we have the 1843 AD date, which we discussed earlier, the Great Disappointment, and the final date given in Bible prophecy. So why did I just walk through each of those dates? Well, because these dates are the starting and stopping dates for all of the big time periods that we just talked about. Here are those time periods based on the start and stop dates we just walked through. So the 70 weeks of Daniel 
started in 457 BC and ended when Stephen was stoned in 34 AD. The 1260-day prophecy began in 538 AD, and it ended with a deadly wound in 1798 AD. The 1290-days began in 508 AD and ended with a deadly wound in 1798 AD. Next, you have the 1335 days. That began in 508 AD and ended with a great disappointment in 1843 AD. And then finally, we have that massive overarching 2300-day prophecy, or year prophecy, the one that literally stretches from 457 BC all the way to the last date, 1843. Now, I know, it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? And we could spend hours debating and documenting why each of those dates was picked and how it came to be. But in this day and age, people just want information and they want it quick, right? This is the social media age. We flip from image to image and video to video in seconds. So content like this can be very overwhelming, to say the least. So we'll just land the plane here. The simple summary from all of this is that thousands and thousands of historians and theologians have come before us. They did the hard work. They made the mistakes, and then they went back and corrected them. They set dates, and then they realized they weren't supposed to set dates. They were disappointed, but they kept coming back to get it right. And while we still argue over details, I believe that we have everything we need to get a pretty clear picture of our future. The fact that the dates and the time periods we just walked through all match up and fit together like a puzzle blows me away. If you can't see how incredible that is, the complexity that has to exist in each of these things coming together the way they did, you'll probably need your eyes checked. But again, I get it. It's a lot. Prophecy is a lot to take in. And once you've read it, once you understand some of it, it totally changes your view on life in the future. Maybe this is one of the reasons why many people are afraid of it, right? It's, it's easier just to not know some of this stuff, just to live life oblivious, just enjoy the days we have and let the future take care of itself. And I get that. There is something very important about that viewpoint because people who get too into prophecy, dare I say William Miller, can miss the forest for the trees. And my hope is that we can really do both, right? That we can have a good understanding of prophecy and feel confident that we understand the future, but at the same time, hold on to what we have right here and now. Our spouses, our family, loved ones, friends, nature, culture, sports, entertainment, all of the things that make us who we are. Enjoy the life that God gave us. Well, friends... I think that's it for today. Uh, We are going to put the final touches on this episode. Uh, Thanks again for making the journey with us. Uh, This wraps up the left bookend. We talked about the book of Daniel. Next time, we're going to jump into the big dog, the right bookend known as the book of Revelation. Until then, have a great week or two, and we will see you back here in no time. As always, everyone, Have a great week and keep transcending human.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels. And as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.